0: SECTION 3 of A PLEA FOR RAGGED SCHOOLS by Thomas Guthrie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. APPENDICES APPENDIX one. The reader is requested to answer the following questions. Is it right to maintain and educate, as in our hospitals, the children of the better-conditioned classes, and refuse the same and far more needed kindness to poverty and destitution? is it right that at our universities there should be provision made for maintaining and educating the children of the rich who don't need it and none for the poor who do is it right to give twenty millions to set free our west india slaves and do nothing to save the population here whom we have abandoned to a state worse than slavery is it right that the poor in consideration of their poverty should be exempt from police tax and prison tax that they should get the means of punishment free and be hanged for nothing but not the means of prevention free? Is it right that the poor and destitute should be provided in crowded spirit shops with so many temptations to crime, and be left with so few inducements to virtue? Which is best, to build a lighthouse that shall save many from being wrecked, or life boat which may save some who are so? Which is best, to pay for the policeman or the schoolmaster, the prison or the school? Which is best, to prevent crime or to punish it? Which is best, to educate the boy or punish the man? Which is best, to feed and educate before crime can be, or after crime has been, committed? Is it not the worst political economy to pay for punishing rather than preventing? A truth embalmed in the good old saying, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Is it right to do so much to reclaim the heathen abroad and refuse the only means of reclaiming our heathen children at home? is it right that christians should spend in one year as much money in sumptuous entertainments as would supply the wants and cultivate and christianize the mind of many a poor forlorn child among us is it right that many who are unworthy should be allowed to beg and that those worthy objects of charity should be driven to beg if each child at this school will not cost more than some three or four pounds per year are there not thousands in Edinburgh who could each maintain a child and never miss the cost? Would not the thought of good you did be the purest pleasure? Since all other means have failed to reach the very lowest class to lessen or arrest the deepening stream of evil, is not this scheme well worth the trial? If so, would it be right for us to stand idly by and give no help, lend no hand? if not is there any right reason why you should wait till others move appendix two extracts from a letter of mr smith governor of the edinburgh prison to the governor of herrits hospital dated 28 october 1845 but besides the children of parents in narrow or reduced circumstances who yet enjoy the benefit of these institutions attending to herrits schools There is a great and increasing number of miserable little outcasts of both sexes, who of necessity live partly by begging and partly by stealing, and whom the schools of that noble charity do not reach. These houseless children of want are growing up in ignorance, misery, and vice. Moral restraint, even in its weakest form, is entirely unknown and unfelt by them. Their associations, and the influences they are under, comprehend all that is brutalizing and worthless they are neglected by those who should be their natural protectors, and crime, instead of being shunned, becomes with them a necessity and a habit. This class of children, together with their older associates, make up that baleful undercurrent which saps the foundations of morality and virtue in society, and from which our prisons are filled. Many young persons, who have been decently brought up, are ruined by coming in contact with these wretched outcasts, so that the duty of endeavoring to reclaim them possesses a double force, as it points not only to the reformation or welfare of the class in question, but to that of others who, by association with them, might be corrupted. During the last three years, upwards of 740 children under 14 years of age were committed to this prison for crime. Of that number, 245 were under 10 years of age. The most of these had been the victims of the unkindness and neglect of others. Some of them had no parents and were uncared for by anyone. Others were the children of widowed mothers, receiving a most inadequate out pension from the parish, and obliged to supplement this miserable pittance at the expense of the moral well-being of their families by going out to work and leaving their children unrestrained in their houses. They have thus grown up in ignorance and idleness and have been exposed to contamination of all kinds. The parents of many others are dissipated and worthless far from preventing they instigate their children to the commission of crime their example and precept are wholly evil and their very existence a calamity to their offspring i think it will be admitted that a vigorous and effectual effort has never been made in edinburgh to remedy this fearful state of things and while i believe that its causes lie too deep for entire removal by anything short of the thorough christianizing of the masses yet i respectfully submit That there exists strong grounds for believing that a well-appointed school of industry would materially mitigate the evil the experience of the existing harriet schools has i believe sufficiently demonstrated that there exists a numerous class of wretched children who by habits peculiar to vagrancy and idleness place themselves beyond their pale who do not and indeed cannot be expected to appreciate the sound elementary moral and intellectual training given in these institutions the number of neglected and destitute children wandering about the city many of them beggars and all in the way of becoming thieves is probably not less than seven or eight hundred these may be apprehended by the police for begging or vagrancy but as soon as set free they will return to their former habits what can they do they know not and have never known anything else and they must have food juvenile begging with all the evils incident to it cannot and ought not to be put down unless the food which is sought by means of it be first supplied in another way to those who practice it. To take advantage of this natural want, and, by providing for it, confer upon children at the same time the benefits of industrial training in manual labor, and of intellectual, moral, and religious culture, is the object of a school of industry. Number 1. Extract from a Report by the County Prison Board of Aberdeen on Juvenile Delinquency these children are the very outcasts of society objects of the deepest commiseration to every well-constituted mind in most cases from the criminality of their parents but in some from their extreme poverty these children do not receive from them even the first elements of education poorly clothed and poorly fed they are rarely placed at school and many perhaps are never led to a place of worship and thus they are never put in the way of doing well and are left without any fault of their own to follow every evil inclination from their earliest infancy. They commence by idling about the streets when they ought to be at home or at school. They soon learn to beg to supply their pressing wants, and from this the transition is easy to the commission of petty thefts for the same purpose, and so from step to step till the little boy or girl who some years ago only excited sympathy from the apparently artless tale of distress which procured an alms soon becomes a frequent inmate of our prison cells number two extract from same report showing the effects of schools of industry it appears both from the police and prison returns that since the opening of these schools a marked diminution has taken place in the number of juvenile delinquents although very many still remain the boys school was opened in october eighteen forty one and from that date up to the first april eighteen forty four two and a half years two hundred and eighty one were admitted of these a considerable number have been placed in situations where they can maintain themselves some are still in attendance some have been removed by their parents in consequence of the latter having got into employment and thus become able to maintain them and others deserted either because their parents preferred having their earnings as beggars or because they themselves disliked the discipline of the school the peculiar feature of the industrial schools is the combination of instruction in useful employment with education and food the children have three substantial meal a day, three hours of lessons, and five hours of work suited to their ages. All the boys and girls return to their homes every evening. On Sundays they receive their food, as on other days, and attend public worship, and they also have religious instruction in school. Number 3. Extract of a Letter from Mr. Watson, Sheriff Substitute, Aberdeen, to Mr. Hill, Inspector of Prisons. We have now no begging children either in town or country. I was rather surprised at the effects produced in the county districts. During the three months preceding sixth July, eighteen forty three, upwards of a hundred children were found wandering in the county and reported by the rural police. During the corresponding period in eighteen forty four, fifty were found. In the corresponding period of eighteen forty five, only eight. And from the eighth of June to the fifth of July, none were found. APPENDIX Number 3. On the 26th January I visited the House of Refuge, to ascertain by examining the applicants for soup tickets the extent of the deficiency of education among that class of people. It was a horrid and heart-rending scene of poverty, and the number and pressure were so great that the officers were obliged to hurry them on, so that I had no time for minute examination, nor, indeed, inclination to sit out such a scene of distress. About half the number may have been passed on before I left." I noted down the following cases, where none of the family were receiving education. The figures show the numbers fit for school. MacArthur, deserted by husband, two. Newell, father seeking work, three. Mason, deserted by her husband, one. Reed, a widow, three. McNeil, deserted by her husband, one. Frazier, ditto, two. Anderson, a widow, two. Potter, husband in bad health, two. Denby, widow, two. Rose, deserted by her husband, two. Sim, one. White, one. McCringle, husband in bad health, two. Nicole, husband away for work, three. Anderson, husband in bad health, two. Daugherty, father dead, mother ill, two. Black, a widow epileptic, one. Clark, a widow, one. Lyon, husband out of work, two. Gillen, husband in bad health, six. McKay, a widow, three. Greenshields, abandoned by her husband, three. Walker, a widow, three. MacDonald, a widow, two. Their history, so far as I could catch it, was a transcript of the Prophet's role, written outside and in with mourning, lamentation, and woe. Appendix number four. The following evidence of destitution i have extracted from some very interesting statistics collected by dr crawford and contained in the books of the canongate dispensary i took my extracts at the opening of the book and as will be perceived the account runs on from day to day every applicant for the benefit of the dispensary was tested as below a few declined to answer which they were not likely to do if they could either read or write the following shows the deplorable lack of education among those who submitted to the test And, to show that it is not to be accounted for by the ignorance of the Irish, the table indicates the country to which they belong. Wednesday, January seventh, 1846. Able to read and write, two, both scotch. Able to read but not write, seven, all scotch. Able to neither read nor write, seven, of these, one Irish. Thursday, 8th January, 1846. Able to read and write, four, all scotch able to read but not write four all Scotch, able to neither read nor write nine of these two Irish. Friday, 9th of January, 1846, able to read and write two both Scotch, able to read but not write seven all Scotch, able to neither read nor write eleven of these two Irish. Saturday, 10th of January, 1846, Able to read and write, two, all scotch. Able to read but not write, four, all scotch. Able to neither read nor write, nine, all scotch. Reader's Note. Appendix number 5, which includes a table showing the state of education of criminal prisoners committed in the three years ending December 1844, has been omitted. End of reader note. Appendix number six Letter from Mr Watson, teacher of Lating Effingham School fifty three Lothian Street twenty sixth, january eighteen forty seven to the Reverend Thomas Guthrie Edinburgh Reverend and Dear Sir In compliance with your request, I will state my opinion as to what portion of society such schools as my present one may be of advantage, or what portion of society, as far as my experience goes, is benefited by my present one i am sure that nearly all the children attending my school are children of tradesmen there is a portion of the scholars from whom i can get no fee and if i deal strictly with them they look no more back to me i must therefore deal very gently with them in some cases the not exacting the fee at the first has been followed with good but in general i do not find myself able to depend on the attendance of such scholars past a few weeks even though they pay no fee To the best of my knowledge I have not a scholar in my school who is not a fit object for your school in point of character. Neither do I think that we are able effectually to touch that grade of society that you contemplate acting upon, and should the plans you are devising be crowned with success, society at large ought to be deeply indebted to you, for your generous and patriotic undertaking, and, following your example, may, under the divine blessing, stem the torrent of ignorance and misery which is making such encroachments on society in general with earnest prayers for your success i remain reverend and dear sir your obedient servant robert watson appendix number seven letter from mr graham superintendent of the house of refuge queensburg house edinburgh twenty-sixth of january eighteen forty-seven to the reverend thomas guthrie Reverend Sir As you requested me today to give you the result of my experience in reference to the education of the lower class of society, I have no hesitation in saying that, notwithstanding the extensive provision that is made in Edinburgh by public bodies for the education of the young, and the large efforts put forth by benevolent individuals for the same purpose, there is still a great number of the poorer classes unreached, and will continue so till something more efficient and more authoritative is done than has hitherto been attempted. I have for many years felt a deep interest in the advancement of education among the poorer classes, and have often lamented their difficult circumstances and their indifference to the means of their elevation, and I must say that my more ample means of observation here have only confirmed my former observations in a more limited locality. I find that those masses of children growing up around us in ignorance and vice belong to reckless and dissipated parents or to mothers whose husbands have deserted them, or to widows who have a pittance from the parish, but quite inadequate to their maintenance. For what can a woman do on two shillings a week with a child in her arms and other three around her crying for food? And a number of illegitimate children whose mothers never had a home of their own, but living in lodgings of the lowest and most uncomfortable kind, and indeed many of the others enumerated are much in the same condition hence the children have no opportunity of knowing what are the blessings of a happy fireside but are continually exposed to the contaminating influence of bad companions in the streets you must have witnessed the confirmation of these statements in the multitude of applications for food at the refuge today and in the answers given to the very hurried examination it was necessary to make while they passed along and though many of the mothers said their children were at school it is quite evident their attendance must be very partial and very irregular indeed, and many of the children themselves, at the ages of ten and twelve, admitted that they could not read. Many of those children come to us in a state of filth and rags, shirt and shoeless, and, on questioning them how they lived or how their mothers got food for them, one answered, "'Got nothing to-day,' another, "'A bit of bread, sir,' and another, "'Mother makes porridge of baker-scrapings,' Now, what can be expected of these children but that their utmost ingenuity, which their intelligent countenances and keen eyes often indicate, will be put forth in procuring food for the cravings of their stomachs, either by deception or stealing, or in picking up the very worst lessons from their older and more practiced associates? Thus a deteriorating influence, a moral gangrene, is progressing and festering in the very midst of society. The police may be expert, and the strong arm of the law may fill the prisons, but still new and larger shoals are coming forward. Benevolent individuals may exert themselves, and their laudable exertions cannot be too highly commended, for they are the real philanthropists, the true friends of their country, who are seeking to confer a religious and moral education upon the rising generation. But still, there is a large class whom their efforts have hitherto been unable to effectually reach. I have often thought these neglected children are the children of the community, and as they are growing up to entail a moral pestilence upon the country why should not the people see to it that the disease is corrected in its early stages if possible nothing will be effectual till the children are compelled to remain at school and provision made that while they are there they should neither be allowed to starve with hunger nor cold it cannot be expected that children so situated can either remain regularly at school or profit by the education they receive but, on the contrary, that they will prefer those haunts where the inherent seeds of corruption in their constitution will be fostered and brought to an early maturity. I sincerely trust you may be successful in your present efforts to awaken attention to this crying evil, and to commence a movement in the right direction, and I am sure you will confer a real blessing on your country. Excuse the imperfections of this hurried letter. I am, dear sir, yours very faithfully, John Graham appendix number eight from the report of first january eighteen forty six by rev mr hilsup chaplain of edinburgh prison regarding juvenile offenders a similar desire may well be entertained i have long felt and expressed the conviction that for them such a situation is very unsuitable for them the proper correction is in my judgment not a public prison but a school of industry an institution in which if the children of indigent or profligate parents They would receive not only support and instruction, but effective training to useful labor. And it seems matter of wonder that the public of Edinburgh, especially with the example and success of other cities before them, should not before this time have at least projected such an institution. In concluding this report, I shall perhaps be permitted to advert, as I have frequently done, to another topic. It is the fact that, for a long period, the attention of society has been directed more to the cure than to the prevention of crime. During the long period in which, by the arrangements of divine providence, I have stood in connection with them, I have entertained the opinion that to the reformation and improvement of that class of society the efforts of Christian benevolence ought primarily to be directed. And I rest the opinion on the dictate of infinite wisdom, the whole need not the physician, etc., I came to call, etc., it is a pleasing feature in the aspect of the present times that to this object the views of clerical men are directed more steadily perhaps than at any former period in that region at least in which vice and crime spring up most readily and luxuriantly and if their labors shall be crowned by the blessing of god if they shall succeed in elevating the character and condition of the lower orders especially the young belonging to them if they shall raise their moral and at the same time their physical condition in intelligence and habits of industry economy sobriety cleanliness civility etc little comparatively will be left to the anxious laborious depressing and it may be unappreciated efforts of the chaplains of prisons and they will furnish practical illustration of the well-known maxim that prevention is better than cure Eight Comley Street, Saturday, January thirtieth. To the Reverend Mr. Guthrie, dear sir, I send the excerpts. I might have sent you the reports. Intensely desiring that the Great One may give you success in the enterprise in which you have embarked, I remain, dear sir, yours affectionately and faithfully, George Hislop. Appendix number nine, night asylum, twenty eighth January, eighteen forty seven to the Reverend Thomas Guthrie. There within, Mr. Fraser sent the names of two hundred and two children, is a list of the destitute children admitted to the night asylum, Old Fish Market Close, in 1846, who were said to be born in the city of Edinburgh. It is impossible for me to say how many of the several hundred of the same class born in Ireland and other places, and taken in here, are now residing in Edinburgh, but I am convinced that there are many hundreds of them so alarming did the care of these neglected children appear to me as soon as i entered the duties of superintendent here in eighteen forty one that i pointed it on many occasions to some of our directors and often did i wish that i had means to enable me to open a place where i could collect all the destitute women and children to be found in edinburgh so as to feed clothe and teach them to fear god and then they would become industrious and useful to themselves and others i would have sent this list sooner but i have been since you called here engaged in preparing part of our annual report to be sent to the printer. Otherwise I would not have lost an hour in furnishing you what you wanted as far as I had it in my power to furnish it. If the list now sent is not exactly what you want, it will be a pleasure to me to try and make it so. I am most respectfully, Reverend Sir, your most obedient servant, W. Fraser, Superintendent, Knight Asylum. Appendix Number 10 Letter from Mr. Grieg a gentleman who takes an active management of lady effingham school edinburgh twenty-eighth january eighteen forty seven to rev t guthrie rev sir i regret that i have been unable sooner to communicate with you on the subject of our conversation of the twenty-sixth instant i have been thinking over the matter and the more i do so the more warmly does it come home to my heart the experience which i have had as a sabbath-school teacher and as the visitor of a very poor district in the lawn-market for now more than two years testifies very strongly to the importance indeed necessity of such a measure as you have in view many instances have come under my own observation where children of both sexes at a very early age have to the total neglect of their education been forced by bare want of food to go forth into the world regularly in search of the means of subsistence while if such could have been supplied their education secular and religious would have been secured there have been other cases again and these the most numerous where they have been driven by profligate parents to beggary and even crime that means might be furnished for extending their profligacy while if children in these circumstances were cared for by christian friends taken by the hand and led out of the vortex of iniquity in which they were entangled instead of a curse, they would be a blessing to all with whom they may be connected. From what I know of existing missions in various districts of our city, I am likewise convinced that, though they may be the means of effecting much, even saving good, yet operating as they do on a class a higher degree in society than those alluded to, they are not directly available for them, or, in short, not suited or framed for their circumstances. These mission schools, with all the necessary agency, work only on the surface of the lower classes of society, or, at all events, are only available for such. This is reality, in that a small fee in these schools is exacted, which renders it impossible for them to take advantage of its privileges. Forgo the fee, and it is not yet applicable to them, because they have to work, or beg, or steal for their own meat. Provide them, therefore, with food in a judicious manner, and a class is benefited which would also materially benefit society at large. In saying so, I do not think I am thereby lowering the standard of education, as some suppose, but on the contrary magnifying it, insofar as we conceive it to be of the first importance, and that measures should be adopted for the removing of any obstacles which would stand in the way of its benefits being made available to the very poorest. I have no difficulty, therefore, in stating, as the result of my experience, that there is a great necessity for the instituting of some means whereby the temporal wants of thousands of destitute children of our city may be supplied, and therefore brought within the pale of receiving a sound scriptural education. Hoping you will excuse the freedom used in expression, I remain, Reverend Sir, yours very respectfully. John Greig. Appendix No. 11. General Routine at the Boys' School of Industry, Aberdeen, 1846. The children assemble at seven in the morning, in summer, and are occupied in school, reading and writing till half-past eight, from half-past eight to nine, recreation, breakfast of oatmeal pottage and milk at nine, followed by morning worship, singing and reading the scriptures, and prayer. The children are out of doors after worship till the work-bell ring at ten, from ten to a quarter to twelve employed in work, and after a quarter of an hour's interval again occupied in work to half-past one. During the forenoon, each class recites a lesson in rotation, being thus occupied about twenty minutes. During the regular school hours, they are taught in classes by monitors. During the half-hour till dinner time, play either out of doors or under shelter, according to the state of the weather. Dinner of barley broth and bread at two, varied occasionally by peas, soup, etc. Recreation after dinner till three, from three till five at work. Wednesday and Saturday afternoons, however, are half-holidays. Tuesday and Friday afternoons, the children receive instruction in vocal music for an hour so that the afternoon work hours amount only to two on Monday and Thursday and one on Tuesday and Friday. At five, the boys receive a piece of bread. Eat and play till half-past five. When the school assembles, are then occupied in school till seven, reading, spelling, and arithmetic. Supper of pottage and milk or teakal, at a quarter past seven followed by evening worship and at a quarter to eight they are dismissed to return to their homes on sabbath the hour of meeting is half past eight breakfast etc as on weekdays public worship conducted after in the cathetical form for the sake of children at eleven after dinner they are allowed to go home in order that parents may take them to church if they choose meet again at five and are occupied at sabbath school exercises during the regular school hours and are then dismissed as usual. Days are occasionally set apart for taking short journeys, by way of recreation, in the neighborhood and parts of the forenoons for attending the sea bathing at the usual season. In winter the children do not assemble in the mornings till eight, and some variations in time are introduced to meet varying circumstances. The average expense of each child is about six pounds per annum, three pounds twelve shillings per annum, or about two and a half pence a day being the cost of victuals for each, And the other expenses such as rent salaries etc being met by the additional two pounds eight shillings from the above sum six pounds for each boy there must be deducted the average earnings of each which for last year amounted to one pound ten shillings thus making the actual cost about four pounds ten shillings for each the earnings of some of the children are very small others according to the nature of the work will make three pence to four pence a day and in a few cases even sixpence, but such cases are rare and the work uncertain. Female Industrial School. The children assemble at seven in the morning in summer and at eight in winter. From the time of assembling till breakfast they have scripture lesson, writing and arithmetic every alternate morning. Breakfast at nine on pottage and milk, from ten to two reading and work, dinner at two, generally on soup, from three till half past five reading and work. Bible lesson between 6 and 7. When they're dismissed each evening, a roll for supper. Average for food about 1 shilling 1 pence a week for each. 11 months' work, 17 pounds, 5 shilling 3 pence. Most of the children 7 and 8 years of age. End of Appendices An End of A Plea for ragged Schools, or Prevention Better Than Cure, by the Rev. Thomas Guthrie.